We're going to be jumping back into the book of Mark. We've been studying the book of Mark for the last 26 weeks. This is week 27 of our study of the book of Mark, and we are in chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. It says, During those days another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, But where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus to test him they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? This is the word of God for the people of God. Let's begin with a word of prayer this evening. God, we ask that you would be present in this place, that you would bring understanding and illumination through your spirit, that you would touch our hearts and our minds to leave here changed, that you would convict us where we need to be convicted, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged, that you would encourage and bless and comfort us where we need your presence to be known. We ask that you would allow us to see your son in a new and exciting way this evening and that you would continue to transform us each and every day more and more into his image and likeness. We humbly ask these things in his name. Amen. So a few weeks ago, we discussed Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus takes five loaves, breaks them, blesses them, hands them out to the people, takes a couple fish, breaks them, blesses them, hands them out to a couple people, and he feeds miraculously 5,000 people in a setting very similar to this. It's almost as if some, as, as readers, we might be having a sense of deja vu as if we did not already talk about this text three or four weeks ago. This is a separate story, but because of all of these similarities, some scholars began to ask 
questions about what is going on and what the difference is between these two stories. One scholar in particular noting all the similarities between Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus and the feeding of the 4,000 notes this. The similarities include Jesus' compassion for the crowd, the location in a desert place, the question on how to feed the people, the exact same question concerning the amount of food available, a command for the people to recline, a similar order and vocabulary involving the giving of thanks, blessing, breaking the bread, and giving of it to the disciples for distribution, a reference to fish being eaten, all the people eating and being filled, the baskets of leftovers collected, the number of people being fed, and the dismissal of the crowd. All of these similarities are causing folks to ask the question, what in the world is going on? Now, I want to peel back the curtain a little bit for you and allow you to go back into the world, the fascinating and exciting world of critical biblical scholarship. You guys are downers tonight. I'm sorry that you're not catching my enthusiasm. Now, what some people have seen, these two stories are so similar that what they began to wonder is if they're both retellings of actually the same event. If Jesus in history fed a lot of people with only a handful of bread and, and fish, broke it, blessed it, sent it out there, and these stories are becoming two different versions, in a sense, of the same story. Now, I know that as you guys are sitting here, a lot of you are uncomfortable with that because we come from this place of, well, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. And some people behind the curtain that get paid big bucks to go and ask all these questions have begun to wonder, what in the world do we do with all of these similarities? They've begun to ask if these questions are actually the same. It seems... Um, that there might be something to that, especially if we think about this. Early on in, in chapter eight, Jesus says, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me for three days. And they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now, you're a disciple and you have just seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a handful of fish and a handful of bread. And this is what the disciples who have just seen Jesus do this a chapter and a half ago, they say this, they say, but where in this remote place can anyone get any bread? <laughs> memes are good for something because I'm sure that in this moment Jesus would have said okay guys remember that thing I did a couple of days ago where we had five loaves and two fish and we broke it and we blessed it and we sent it out there and we fed them miraculously and you see how there's a couple thousand out there now and we've got a handful of loaves and fish and you so Scholars have looked at this text and they say one of two things. They say either these disciples are incredibly, incredibly, incredibly stupid or this is a different retelling of the same story. Now, hold on, because some of you in the room, you're okay with that. It's perfectly legit because as Mark, as a storyteller, he might be doing something on purpose for a different audience or telling this story. There might be a different reason why he's, he's talking about this in this way. And for others of you, this, this, is, this is blasphemy almost to think that this is only one happening. It's okay, whichever side of this discussion that you're on, because what we as readers need to do in this moment 
is to see what we learn from this second story that looks and feels and acts a lot like the story that we just saw three weeks ago. For me, especially as I was preparing this and just going over the story, I kept thinking to myself, oh gosh, didn't I just preach this? Isn't this almost the same exact message? But I do think that there are certain things, differences in the story that we can pull out that might be meaningful for us. Now, some people would say that they're not comfortable with the fact of just one story and two different retellings. They, they want both of these to be historical happenings where Jesus feeds 5,000 people in one moment and then he feeds 4,000 people in another moment. And one of the reasons why they say that is because he's reaching a different audience. So back in, in Mark chapter six, Jesus' ministry at this time was very much focused on the Jewish people. He was demonstrating himself to be God and he was demonstrating himself to be one with a new teaching. So much so that the Pharisees began to question who he was and how he taught with authority that they've never seen before. Jesus was demonstrating himself to be one who was bringing the kingdom of God to earth. And in this moment, he's ministering to the Jewish people and trying to uh, provide them with an image of who he actually is. And for the author of Mark and for Christians, that would be as the son of God. Now, in Mark chapter eight, which is where we are tonight, Jesus is in a different place. We have seen Jesus in the region of Tyre a couple weeks ago when he was healing the Syrophoenician woman's demon-possessed daughter. Jesus is, is quite a bit away from Israel and he is doing ministry in a foreign part of the world. Jesus, all he wants to do at this point is to escape and to find respite and to rest with his disciples, but everywhere he goes, people know who he is and they keep showing up and wanting him to heal them. And this was the case a couple weeks ago with that Syrophoenician woman's daughter. She came and she pled and she begged on behalf of her kid, saying, if there's anything that you can do, do it. Last week, Jesus moved from this region of Tyre to this area over here called the Decapolis. This is also what most scholars would define as a predominantly Jewish area. Jesus, again, is, is going to find rest and moments of relief from all of the ministry that he's doing, but even there, people find him. And as Tessa talked about last week, this group of folks bring their friend, their deaf-mute friend to Jesus and plead on his behalf that Jesus would heal this person. Jesus is doing all this ministry in predominantly Gentile areas, which is strange at the time. So some people would see these parallels between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 as indicative of who Jesus is attempting to reach at that time. In the feeding of the 5,000, there was 12 baskets left over, and for some people, again, behind the cloak, the critical biblical scholars would say there's something about 12 basketfuls being left over. Sounds similar. Similar to the 12 tribes of Israel. Perhaps there's something where Jesus is ministering to predominantly a Jewish audience at this moment. In the feeding of the 4,000, you note it's not 12 basketfuls that are left over. It is actually seven baskets that are left over and seven loaves that are distributed. So people said maybe that number seven has some hidden symbolic meaning. And come to find out, some people would say that that number seven or 70, some uh, derivative of seven, shows us or points us to a Gentile audience. So they would say that Jesus is doing two, two miracles for two different 
people. One, he's ministering to the lost sheep of Israel, that he has compassion on them when he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. And here in the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus is ministering to, in his own words, the dogs, the Gentiles, the people that don't belong in the story. Most of us in the room where Jesus begins to allow non-Jewish people to experience this kingdom of God as it is invading the earth. R.T. France says, given a Gentile location, the second feeding miracle fits well into Mark's plan. Remember, Mark is this author who's putting this story together for a specific purpose as the third of a set of miracles which extend the mission of the Messiah of Israel for the benefit also of neighboring people. It's not just for Israel. Jesus seems to be pushing the line of inclusion to show little traces of hints that we might be a part of this family as well. On a Sunday evening at about 6.15, I'm not sure how that lands, but this is absolutely radical. This is where we hear hints of, maybe this has something to do with me. Maybe God's story has something to do with us. Maybe Jesus in this feeding miracle of the 5,000 focusing on the people of God through Israel, maybe the fact that he's doing this again for 4,000 in a non-Jewish area ministering to people that might not be included, maybe he's pushing that line again and again to say there's something happening here. Something that might be inclusive of us. At the end of the day, maybe. We've done a lot of reading in there. We've seen 12 and how that's symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. We've seen seven and how that's a reading in of, of a Gentile audience. And it seems to make sense, those two things together. But at the end of the day, maybe. Now, I know that some of you are completely unsettled at this moment because you're sitting there thinking, what is he saying? Is he saying that this only happened one time and there's two different stories? Is he saying, that, like, what's going on here? I want to, to, to calm you down for a moment and allow you to see what's actually going on in this story in the same way that the feeding of the 5,000 is not just important because Jesus did a cool party trick. Neither is the feeding of the 4,000 important just because Jesus did that same cool party trick again. We already know that Jesus can do cool stuff. He walks on water. He raises people from the dead. He heals sick folks. He casts out demons. Wherever he goes, the odd thing is the people that know him best are the demons saying, what do you want with me, O oh, son of man? Like, what are you doing here? Jesus is powerful and authoritative, and folks have seen that throughout this gospel. I want to push us beyond whether this is one story or two story, because to me it's not necessarily the issue. The issue is, what is being taught here that tells us something about who Jesus is? I think that we could also ask the question, what is this story telling us about who we are as well? So I wanna look at this story from a lens of three different perspectives, the lens of the crowd, the lens of the disciples, and the lens of the Pharisees. I say this every week, but this will not take a long time, okay? 
First things first, the crowd. Jesus shows up and he says, I have compassion for these people. This is true of the feeding of the 5,000 as well. I have compassion for these people. Jesus is one who has an immense amount of care and concern for the people that are around him. This has become a cliche in the Christian world where Jesus cares about you and knows every hair that's numbered on your head and all this stuff. And for some of you, you're sitting here thinking, that's garbage. But I want to push you beyond that to see Jesus and how he cares even for you as you're sitting here right now. N.T. Wright says, Jesus continues to have compassion on those who follow him to be aware of and sensitive to their needs and to meet those needs, often in unexpected ways. Many Christians fail to appreciate and appropriate this personal concern that their Lord has for them. Now, what's interesting in this story is the immediate need that Jesus, that, that spurs on his compassion is the fact that these people have been there with him for three days and they have not eaten anything. This story is about bread, beautiful, lovely challah bread. This story is about the physical, practical needs that you and I and these people way back then had and how Jesus sees that and has compassion on those people, and then he actually does something about it. It's the mundane. It's the thing that we pray in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's the throwaway line when we're sitting down before our gross McDonald's meal and we say, dear God, please, please make this meal of some nutritious value to my body. And if we believe Jesus is in the, miracles of, of, or in the business of doing miracles, then perhaps at that moment that 10-piece McNuggets and fries can have some nutritional value for you, but I'm not certain about that. But see, we pray those things and we don't even necessarily think to ascribe care and concern and compassion to God for the fact that we have food in front of us. We don't think to attribute care and compassion and concern to God for the fact that we have a place to, to go home to this evening. So we don't think to attribute care and compassion and concern to God for the smallest of things in our lives. And for some of you, your life right now is tough, and it's not as though you can say that Jesus cares about you or has compassion for you, but I want you to hear this line in the story where he sees these people and the need that they have just to eat food, and it says he is moved with compassion, and he meets their needs. We learn that from the crowd. We can learn some things from the disciples as well. Um, this question where Jesus has just done a, a feeding miracle, and they say, but Jesus, where are we going to get the bread from? Like, they just don't seem to understand what's going on. And then later in the story as well, they're in the boat, and Jesus is super ticked at what just happened. It says, when the Pharisees approach him, he just sighs deeply, as if to say, like, good grief, is this happening again? And the disciples completely misinterpret this, this interchange, and Jesus is talking about beware the leaven of the Pharisees and that of Herod, and we'll talk a little bit about what that means. But the disciples say, I guess he's talking about the fact that we don't have any food anymore. They just turned into to New Yorkers there. I don't know why or how, but they did. They're in the boat, and it's uh, spontaneous. I don't know. It's because we don't have any bread. That's why Jesus is ticked. No, it isn't. This group of people in Mark are being presented as some of the most obtuse people in the history of humanity. They just don't 
They can't put the pieces together at all. They don't get it. But what's interesting about this is, even in spite of their complete, ridiculous understanding or misunderstanding of what's going on, Jesus still invites them in and still uses them in great ways, even in this story. For example, it says, when he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. Jesus is the one that has this power, but when he breaks the bread, he hands it to the disciples to go do the work. It continues, they had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. He is empowering the disciples to go and do the work that he is wanting to to accomplish. For some of you, you need to hear those two points. One, as trite as it sounds, Jesus loves you. In spite of all of your ridiculousness, in spite of how you just don't get it, in spite of the fact that you sit in your room and you wait for a divine sign from God to show up to prove that he's real when there have been thousands and thousands of reasons why you should understand that this is taking place in your life. We look at the disciples and it's easy to kind of throw stones at them, yet we in many ways are the disciples. Having no concept of what God is doing, having little understanding of the mercies that we have received through Christ. And in this story, what's important to note is not how stupid they were but how in spite of that, Jesus says, why don't you guys hand this out to the people? Why don't you go do something real cool here? Why don't you take these seven loaves and feed 4,000 people? Go ahead. It's this moment where they just are invited in to the story. N.T. Wright again says, the closer we are to Jesus, the more likely it is that he will call us to share in his work of compassion, healing, and feeding, bringing his kingdom work to an ever-widening circle. Christianity may have been sold to you as pray this prayer and have your sins forgiven and then it's good. But I want to commend to you that it's more than that. It's, it's walking into the story and then becoming a useful vessel for God to work through you. And at times, that looks like you handing out bread. It looks so insignificant and so small. At times, you would be surprised the things that, that have ministered to people in some of the lowest moments in their life. A look, a word of comfort, a text message at just the right moment. Keller Bruce, I'm gonna call you out. A few weeks ago, being a pastor is hard. I'm taking you back behind the curtain, and here's another one. It's hard. And sometimes, in my mind at least, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not ministering to all these people. I'm letting folks down. I'm not being the person they're expecting me to be. I'm not at this event or that event or this thing. And I'm just ridden by guilt and shame and all this stuff. And in one moment, I was having a day where the text was blowing up with things similar to that. At least 
And you guys know I'm a total head case, so I can just take the smallest thing and then read into it. But I was in a, I was in a, a dark place where, good grief, this is hard, and I feel like I'm letting everyone down, and things aren't going well. And it was about 11 o'clock at night, and then my, my phone lights up, and it's Keller. And Keller's text said, I just want you to know that I wouldn't be where I am without you. I don't know what prompted him to do that, but he doesn't even know until right this moment in front of 100 people (laughs) what that meant. I mean, I sent back the obligatory, thank you, you don't know what that means to me, but I don't think anybody quite understands what that does mean to you until you're talking about it in front of 100 people. Um, It didn't didn't cost him a lot. It was just him being obedient to a, a leading or a feeling or something I would like to think it's the spirit kind of moving him in that direction. And I know that you guys have stories like that where you have been on the receiving end of those gracious moments where it's as if God himself is saying, I'm still here, I still love you, I'm still with you. But he says it through Keller or he says it through your roommate or he says it through your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your wife or your husband or whatever. Like he says it through people. And it's in that moment where it's Jesus is, is ripping the bread and saying, go feed it to these people that are starving. It's a text. It's a smile. It's a card. Sometimes it's, it's bigger and it's more um, costly than that. And I hope that we're the type of people that can see those needs and begin to live that out. But in this story, Jesus is using his disciples, when they don't seem to get it, they don't seem to understand, but yet he's still calling them into it, and their task is to advance the kingdom of God by handing out bread. The third group that we can learn something from is the Pharisees. Around verse uh, 10 or 11, I believe it's 10, it says the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. Now, I used to think that the Pharisees were there kind of witnessing what was going on, and they see Jesus breaking the bread and feeding all these people, and then they ask him for a sign. That's not probably how it's happening, because Jesus is moving from that location to a different location, and these Pharisees show up. But the Pharisees have stories upon stories upon stories of the miracles that Jesus was doing, yet they continue to ask him for signs. They continue to ask him to prove himself. They continue to ask him to demonstrate if what he's saying is actually true. However, this is a fruitless task because of their hostility. These guys have no interest in this moment of understanding or knowing who Jesus is. They've seen the miracles. They've seen what he can do. They've heard the teachings, yet they keep putting up these walls saying, you're not the guy. You're not the guy. You're not the guy. There could have been no sign that Jesus could do in that moment. I don't know if they wanted him to levitate or they wanted him to do something crazy, break out into a nice break dance. I'm not sure what that sign might have been, but I don't think that there's anything that he could have done to legitimize who he was in the eyes of the Pharisees. He continues on, and as he's talking to his disciples, I think he makes this clear where he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. This yeast or leaven that is introduced into bread to allow bread to be what bread is, a beautiful, glorious bread. Gosh, bread is so good. 
But here we see Jesus saying, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. And in a sense, he's saying, don't be like them in very simplistic terms. Some people would say that yeast or leaven is symbolic of evil or the in evil inclinations of people's hearts or the, the fact that folks have hard hearts. And what Jesus is saying is don't be like them. Don't be infected by that same evil impulse. Disciples, friends, folks that have hung out with me, you've seen what they just did. Don't do that. It's as if Jesus is pleading with these people, continuing to give them chance after chance after chance after chance. I want to use you. I love you. I care about you. I've got a task for you to do. Don't be like them because they don't get it and because their walls are built up so tall and so high that it's nearly impossible for them to get it. Some of the words that Jesus uses here are having their hearts hardened takes us right back into the Old Testament where this language is used around uh, the Exodus and the story of the Exodus, which we'll talk about in a second here. But the point that we're seeing is don't be like them. Don't allow yourself to be hardened and don't allow yourself to have these walls up. And as I stand here, I know that for some of you, the walls are thick and the walls are high and you feel safe behind them. There's not one thing that Jesus or me, or a lot of these people could do. There's no sign that could happen that would begin to break that down because in your heart, you are angry and you are bitter and you are jaded to this. I want to commend to you that this might not be a one argument and then the whole wall comes down because I don't think that's how that works. But I want to at least commend to you that there might be things that are happening in your life that demonstrate the care and compassion of God that you have not allowed yourself to see for quite some time. And I hope and I pray that even as difficult as that is, you might begin to see Jesus in a new and fresh way this evening and you might even begin to see him through the bread that is handed out to you. There's one other thing in this story that's interesting. It says the Pharisees came to him, they began to question Jesus and to test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. These words here about questioning and testing take us back into the Old Testament where we see the stories in Exodus. God's people, Israel, have been in bondage and servitude and enslaved for centuries. And through Moses, they are led out of captivity into freedom. This story is a mile marker, to say it in a small way, of, of what's going on here for God's people. But as soon as they walk through the Red Sea, whatever that looks like, and they get to the other side, they immediately begin to start complaining, Moses, what the heck? You've brought us out here to die. We don't have any food. We don't have any water. We're not going to make it. So we see here in, in Exodus chapter 16, God provides manna for the people. God provides bread for the people for six days. And on that sixth day, they get a double portion. God is providing for their very tangible physical needs in, the, in a miraculous way. And then again, in Exodus 16, the people begin testing God again. That thing that just happened, no dice. Now we need some water. 
Like they just keep having these miracles happen and then they test God. They have these miracles and then they test God. And here what we see in Mark is something strangely similar. There's a provision of food in the first nine verses and then after that people begin to test Jesus. What the author of Mark is doing is bringing these two things together and what he's ending on is important for us to see. We see the miraculous feeding in both these stories followed by a testing of God or a testing of Jesus. And Joel Marcus says in Exodus, it's God who is tested, but in Mark, Jesus himself is tested and thus assumed the role of God in Exodus. Jesus, for Mark, in this story, is once again demonstrating himself to be God. Not just because of the cool party tricks that he does, but because of the way the story unfolds, Jesus is God. What does all this mean for us? talked about the crowd and Jesus' compassion for them. We've talked about the disciples and how they're hard-hearted and they're obtuse and they don't quite get it. They just misunderstand most things, yet God, through Jesus, still uses them to accomplish this task. And we've, we've heard about the Pharisees and how they wouldn't allow themselves to see all the things that was happening here. N.T. Wright summarizes this by saying, it all raises the question for us. If we are beginning to understand what Jesus' mission was all about and to make it the foundation of our faith and our hope, if we have committed ourselves to following Jesus, if we have committed ourselves to being um, called a Christian, if we have committed ourselves, if we have prayed that prayer, what do we do with that? It says, do we understand what God is doing right now, not only in our lives, but in our world? What would make Jesus groan deeply today? What is it about us that would make him say, you still don't get it. I think those questions that we begin with are important. Feeding of the 5,000, what does it mean versus feeding of the 4,000, what does it mean? Is it two stories, is it one story? Like all these things, they pale in comparison though to what we actually do with this story. How we leave here changed because of it. If we're content just to sit here and say, these two miracles happened, great, I'm settled, fine, and then we leave, that's okay, I guess. But what does that have to do with you? How do you leave here changed? How do you take any of that and apply it? What are the things that Jesus is saying? You don't get it. I love you, I care about you, I am compassionate for you, but there's some things that are right in front of you. There's people that need bread. There's people that need encouragement. There's people that need hope. And I want to do it through you. I hope that through this story, it's not just Jesus doing party tricks. I hope that through this story, we begin to see that we are being called into an active role in this faith. It's not just about praying that prayer. It's about living it out so that the world around us can be changed as well.